Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, TGIF, if anybody remembers those words, just thank God it's Friday. And, and well, is it going to rain all weekend? Who knows? Uh, in the studio with us, uh, oh, you have at least one common sense Republican today. We have Ed Cox, uh, New York <laughs> State Chairman. How are you, Ed? You bet. Doing well. And we have a common sense, two common sense Democrats, Judge Richard Weinberg and Governor David Patterson. You guys well? Absolutely. I'm surrounded. There's so many crazy things. <laughs> Let me ask you. There's so many crazy things happening. Rita, so many crazy things happening in the world. How do we straighten this out? Yeah, there is so much. By the way, I did you also just hear um, our Bob Brown was talking about Kevin McCarthy uh, leading this effort, John, to maybe expunge Trump's impeachments. Um, and there may be some justification to wipe them out. Uh, what do you think? Oh, I think, Judge? I think that very good grounds. And the first one was all false narrative. It was all nonsense about the Russia collusion. It was the basis of that shift led attack on. Yeah, uh, Mueller found nothing, it. right? right. Guys, I got a problem with Washington. It seems like A, you too? <laughs> nobody goes to jail. B, nobody tells the truth. I mean, should there be a, I mean, and, and there's a, can there be a congressional, uh, can, there, can we have a law, a real law that says Congress people and senators and, and, and people at the White House must tell the truth? You know what? Uh, I don't know if there'll be anybody showing up on that. Uh, they, have one. <laughs> they, they have one, John. It's called an oath. <laughs> they forget about it. <laughs> well, no, it, it, it's an oath, but it's not an oath to tell the truth. Actually, the law, the law is to the, to the, is to the opposite. That is when you're speaking on the floor of the house, anything you say, you can say anything and it's, and it's, and it's It's called the speech and debate clause of the United States Constitution. Okay. See, I, I never knew until I'm in the radio business here. I never knew about that law. Now say, judge, say it. What is the name of the law? It's called the speech and debate clause that you can't be held for account. Based on what you say, the proceedings of the body. So, in other right. words, if you're on the floor of Congress, you could you could lie, yes, and, and not be held accountable. Yes. Yeah, if you're a member of Congress. If now, by the way, if you're no, testifying, no, no, that's, you, no, no, that's right. No, that's right. If I went on the floor right, yes. to visit one of my friends and I and I lied on the floor, I would have a real problem. That's but. my point. Isn't that the irony of it that's all? Right. If you're under there, and especially if you're under oath, boy, are you in trouble. Um, and, and speaking, by the way, John, the big news today, of course, is about all the IRS whistleblower stuff. And the IRS whistleblowers testified under oath. They could be held in contempt. Uh, there could be huge problems if they lied under oath. They swear by what they said, and it is explosive against Hunter Biden. Now, now, I just learned another law before. Oh, you did? That, okay. That a former congressman or a former senator, regardless, can go on the floor of the Congress, even if he's a lobbyist, even if he's lobbying for a foreign country, and whisper in any congressman's ear, and he's allowed to do that, and... But but with the cat on the floor on the floor he's not violating any of the rules of the floor so he can lobby on the floor without 
being registered as a lobbyist to do it. But where he runs into trouble, if he's doing That's, it for foreign government, right, the, the, money. Foreign, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, as yes. Chairman Cox is, exactly. is nodding knowingly, which, by the way, raises the question, how come the U.S. attorney didn't go after young Mr. Biden on being a foreign agent who's not registered? Absolutely exactly. right. That's a big one. Big one. And it seems like he got a pass. And joining us now, by the way, John, here on the show is Greg Jarrett. Uh, he is, of course, the Fox News legal analyst. And Greg also has a new book out. It's called The Trial of the Century. It's awesome. Greg, this is amazing. This documentation coming from the whistleblower. Everybody is talking about this IRS whistleblower who basically had the WhatsApp information. And it came out today that it wasn't just like hearsay, that they actually downloaded it from the cloud, the Apple cloud. This conversation that Hunter Biden says he's sitting next to his father. Uh, what, what is going on here? Yeah, I mean, that email is absolutely stunning. Uh, it directly implicates Joe Biden is involved in his son's overseas, you know, corrupt influence peddling deals. You know, it, it, it sort of reads like, uh, you know, I'm sitting next to my dad, fulfill your commitment or else, translation, pay us the money or my powerful father will go after you with a vengeance. That, you know, it's extortion on top of all the other crimes uh, related to bribery. And it certainly puts a lie to Joe Biden's claim, that, oh, gee, I knew nothing about my son's foreign graft and I was never involved. The laptop alone is a treasure trove of documents implicating the big guy as not just a beneficiary, but an active participant, the cornerstone of the graft. So where it happens next, though, Greg, because the big question is, is how do you prove it? Right. No, is there any proof that his father's actually sitting there? Well, and you know what's interesting, John? I mean, I I could say, I, I could say to you, Greg, I'm sitting next to God. Unless you give me uh, everything, uh, God is going to take you to heaven tomorrow morning. <laughs> and, and John, what Hunter came out with today via his attorney yeah. was basically I had a horrible addiction. Leave my family out of it. He didn't deny it. Uh, but to John's point, how did they prove it? The one thing I saw, Greg, this to me, uh, I, I was stunned. According to Gary Shapley, this is this IRS whistleblower. He basically says that they had asked for a <laughs> GPS that some of the agents said, listen, we're looking at this message. Here's a GPS that can exactly say, is the father sitting in the room at the time to confirm that? And the superiors turned it down. Greg. Listen, if he's not sitting literally next to his son, it is certainly pretty strong circumstantial evidence that dad uh, was involved in all of this. And, you know, is it a coincidence that, the tens of millions of dollars that flowed into the Biden family bank accounts came from the very countries, uh, America's adversaries, where Joe Biden as vice president was put in charge of dictating foreign policy, policy decisions uh, that arguably were in exchange for money, which is why that 1023 form is so important, because it evidences allegedly a direct bribery scheme in which Joe Biden gets five million and and the son gets uh, another five million in exchange for a specific policy decision related to Burisma, which is firing the prosecutor who is investigating Hunter's company. 
So my understanding is it's David Patterson that uh, for the email that Hunter Biden was in the president's house at the time that he sent the email. It's not clear whether or not uh, his father was really sitting next to him. I know my son had never said anything about me. I'd have hit him. <laughs> uh, you don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. If the FBI knew about this in real time, it should have gone to the president and the president should have said something to his son about it that would have ended it. Yeah, uh, and, that's and, what certainly would have happened though when we were living in the White so yeah, House. You're so much more reasonable than me. That's exactly how it should have been handled. If it did <laughs> and happen. also it could have put a, a, a button on it too to even exonerate the president too. Why would you not want to like figure it out one way or the other? You bet. And he would have known the FBI would not have been able to hold that back from him. And Greg, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you this. You had the Attorney General of the United States, the former Chief Judge, United States Court of Appeals, the District of Columbia, saying before the Senate, Senator Grassley, that there was absolute cooperation between the Justice Department and the local U.S. Attorney in Delaware, and anything he needed to chase up investigative help and authorization for crimes that took place outside of Delaware would be granted. There was no problem. Nobody's standing in the way. And Weiss is now saying that he never got the authorization from the Southern uh, District of California, U.S. Attorney, or the District of Columbia. What do you say about that? Well, it, it seems to me that Merrick Garland lied in front of Congress. Last time I checked, uh, that's perjury. He was under oath, and it's also false statements. Um, you know, look, the, Merrick Garland wasn't there during these discussions. The IRS supervisory agents were. Uh, and, you know, they were, you know, first-person witnesses to a variety of things, uh, including that there was an effort uh, to charge in California and Washington, D.C. And, of course, U.S. attorney in Delaware, his jurisdiction, his jurisdiction doesn't extend across the United States. Uh, and, you know, Garland should know that. He was a federal judge. And, you know, for him to issue these blanket denials, as he did in a news conference today, you know, it just doesn't pass the smell test, does it? Well, it raises the question, does that mean that somebody below him denied this access and he didn't know about it? How, when he made the representation, everything was going to be fine? Isn't it his obligation to know? Possible, but he, you are absolutely right, Judge. He has, as the head of the Department of Justice, as attorney general, it's his job to know. And it is no excuse to appear before Congress and guess. That's not good enough. That's lying to Congress. And, you know, I think he has a lot of answering to do. But before he would ever testify, I'd like to hear from David Weiss, if I were a, a member of uh, the Judiciary Committee or Oversight uh, or the Ways and Means. I want to hear what he has to say about it. But I also want to hear from these whistleblowers. They've already given depositions, but let's hear it so that the American public can judge for themselves. Yeah, and you know what also, um, I was watching uh, the attorney for the whistleblower earlier, Greg Jarrett, um, that um, basically they said there were other people in the room, that it was like the supervisory agent of the FBI and all these others. Let's put them all before Congress. Uh, put them under oath and and see yeah. what they say. Let's clear it up because somebody's lying. And another interesting tidbit on this is that Weiss, 
is saying he wasn't really the control person. And all the reporting seems to be that one of his assistants, a woman named Wolf, was actually making these decisions about not not cooperating. So that means that Weiss was just a front person. He didn't even control his own office. What do you say about that? Well, I, I say it's disgraceful. He's the U.S. attorney in Delaware. He's supposed to be in charge. You don't relinquish authority to an assistant uh, U.S. attorney. And look, these agents were, were present during these uh, pivotal discussions, particularly, and you know, the specificity of this lends credibility that they made requests for warrant-based raids on Hunter's home, which was his father's mansion in Delaware, and his own individual storage unit. Those requests were denied, and they were there when the assistant U.S. attorney to whom you refer says, well, yes, we do have more than enough probable cause to do it, but we're not going to do it because the optics would be bad. You and, know, and you know the, the other DOJ thing too, Greg? didn't care about the optics when they raided Mar-a-Lago. No, great point. And, and to your point, uh, Greg Jarrett, also, uh, the agent was basically saying, and he went on camera. He's been on CBS Evening News, this guy, and he's a supervisory IRS agent. It's not like some just Joe Blow. I mean, he's a credible guy. And he said he has never seen these hurdles and these roadblocks and these denials. This is not standard course, right, Greg Jarrett? I mean, this is an well, unusual so, is his point. So, Greg, it talks to you. So, so the way you are thinking is the way Comer and his people are thinking. They're going to work through this, work through the whole tangle of the of the dummy companies at the cash. Follow the money. By the way, right we, have Comer, we have Comer joining us in studio a- next week. Exactly. Can't wait for that. <laughs> that's going to be. But, <laughs> that's going to be a good one. <laughs> but where do you think this? It takes time to get the de- uh, t- uh, the testimony of Weiss and others. But where do you think this ends up as it follows through? It seems pretty obvious where the end is, isn't it? Well, the, in my judgment, I've said this for a very long time, the DOJ and the FBI are corrupt. The fix was in. And, uh, and you know, the plea deal to a couple of misdemeanors, a slap on the wrist, proves it. So that means, Ed, that the House Oversight Committee is now the last refuge for uncovering the truth, unraveling the lies. Yes, they cannot prosecute, but they can expose, and that is very important. Uh, even though the mainstream media is covering it up to protect Biden, the American public sees what's going on. A Harvard-Harris poll found that 63% of voters do believe Hunter Biden's a crook, committed crimes, and a majority of those believe Joe Biden was involved. And as the committee continues to unravel uh, you know, the corruption, I think those numbers will only grow. Well, thank you, Greg, uh, J- Greg Jarrett, and uh, thank you for staying on top of this. And this is so important to the credibility of our nation. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. My pleasure. Good thank to be you. with you. Thank you, Greg. Okay, let's take that break. And when we come back from the great break, we have Steve Moore, uh, one of the country's leading economists. And he's going to tell us why did the Department of Energy write a check the Ford Motor Company for $9.2 billion for batteries. Give me a break. Let's go to that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. 
We are back, and uh, that was a very interesting discussion, and and we continue with interesting di- discussions. Uh, you know, Steve Moore is coming on any minute now, and and uh, nine point two billion dollars to Ford. Why? Wow. That's worst kind of statism, and all it's about is having the government direct the economy. It's totally contrary. But these to our electric system. cars is the biggest con game ever on the American public. Because we don't even have the electricity to be able to sustain it. Right. But big money, like you said, John, it's for electric vehicle batteries. I mean, this is one of the largest automotive industry Is it a loan? Is it a gift? What is it? Well, they're calling it right. They call it sort of a loan subsidy. But to get this, it's one of the biggest in U.S. histories. I mean, this is amazing to boost the electric vehicle production. Uh, and you're right. And, and also, uh, it's for the Biden administration, quote, to compete with Chinese manufacturing is what they're saying on the surface, you guys. Uh, we're, 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 whatever happened to that expression, they're full of what? <laughs> <laughs> we know a couple well, of four-letter words that fit in there. <laughs> Steve Moore is not available. Let's go to Steve Cates. Yeah, in fact, let's go to Steve Cates. Yep, we've got Dr. Okay. Yeah, in fact, by the way, big Let's story too, John, too, because, uh, Dr. Sky, uh, we want to ask you the other huge story today, of course, is on the sub. Um, and this new information that came out that the U.S. Navy has sensors that detected the implosion basically at the same time they lost communication with that private sub. Uh, what do you know? I guess they've had them in place for decades since World War II. Absolutely. Good evening, Rita, and good evening, John, and everyone there in the studio, and everybody listening to the amazing show here. Worldwide. We, we, we are streaming Absolutely. worldwide. Well, here we go, Rita. This is interesting. I think one of the answers here, people were concerned, why are we not hearing about this about this you know, implosion of this particular craft, you know, the Ocean Gate Titan, when apparently the Navy says, or at least they're trying to tell us, that they did have some sort of a signal coming down from the ocean. But the problematic thing here is, I think they were very cautious because this are probably some of the most secret of America's technologies in submarine warfare. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a good answer. We need to know the truth. But unfortunately, with this small, tiny object, it's amazing if they even did detect anything. Remember, it's only 22 feet in length, and they're covering a 14,000-square-mile area of ocean. But it's so tragic, as we all know, But I wanted to describe this in a little more detail from both the astronomy side, and again, I'm not an oceanographer, but here's what we know about what we think about under the ocean. We only know, Rita, 20% of the ocean's floor has ever been mapped, as opposed to all the mappings that we have of the planets like Mars and such. Obviously, the ocean is still a very, very secret place, and we really don't know what's going on down there. There's actually three levels of the ocean's layer. We find out that this outer region of the area we call sunlight zone, it goes down to about 200 meters. And then we have an area, not like a TV show, but something called the twilight zone, down to 1,000 meters. And way down in the dark deep of the ocean, it's called the midnight zone. That goes from 1,000 to 4,000 meters. But what's apparently happened to that small craft, the little Ocean Gate Titan, is that sunlight really disappears, they say, around 650 feet under the ocean. So it's a very dark place. And a very formidable place, as we all know. Dr. Sky, Ed Cox here. I, I, I find it very interesting. Uh, yes, you're Dr. Sky, but yet it's the same. Reminded me of the drama of Apollo 13. Would sure. they get back or not? Would they Absolutely. find them or not at the bottom of the ocean and bring them back alive? Uh, the, the similarities between explore, exploration of space 
and exploration of the of the unknown parts of the ocean or just the this what was happening with the, in this incident there are really a lot of similarities between the two are there not Ed, you're absolutely right. I mean, we look at the outer space region with Apollo 13, right? God bless those astronauts and NASA's ground crew that got that, you know, those three astronauts back. But something very interesting to continue to answer this. A long time ago, another show that I was doing, I had the honor of interviewing Captain Don Walsh. Who was he? He and a gentleman named Jacques Picard, the famous Picard family that was involved mm-hmm. in aviation and ballooning. They went down, get a load of this, on January 23rd, 1960. Many people may not know this. In this device called a bathyscaphe, it's actually this double pressure hold type of submarine, if you want to call it. And they went down into the deepest part of the ocean, the Mariana Trench, 35,800 feet into the ocean. And what's interesting, James Cameron did this in the Deep Sea Challenger back in 2012. But the point is, even at the depth of what we find this particular, you know, Titanic relic, we're talking about pressures on the outside of that little craft, the little Ocean Gate Titan, at about 6,500 PSI, 15,000 PSI for a craft to go down in the Mariana Trench. The ocean is still a very formidable place, as we all know. You know, I want to ask you, uh, Dr. Sky, too, about like the whole issue with and I know this isn't your ear, but sort of like the whole expertise, too, because how dangerous is it to go down? I mean, you're an adventurer, uh, you know, uh, but sure. to to go down into the ocean. Now we're hearing these stories that like uh, the guy was trying to sell the tickets at half pricing. It's safer than crossing. We're hearing all these allegations that like even whistleblowers within the company were upset saying yes. it wasn't ready to go. I mean, shouldn't there be more regulation? I, I mean, uh, these uh, these precious lives, it's hard breaking. Rita, you're spot on. And a backstory on the Titan here, the Ocean Gate Titan, is that it was not certified by U.S. regulations. So how did they get away with this? They actually did this dive in international waters. So there needs to be some sort of regulation on this. I mean, there are many people. There was a whistleblower, I think, or somebody fired from the company. I don't know all the details, but the person actually stated very emphatically to the entire board that that craft or others like it were not really suitable to do the deep dive, and they were told to clear out their desk in 10 minutes' time. But it's so fascinating to talk about this because the actual craft, the other craft that I talked about with Captain Don Walsh, that to me is a momentous time in oceanography. Jacques Cousteau and so many other people that explore the ocean, we find out that Trieste, the actual craft, the bathyscaphe, was actually used to locate a very sad event that happened with another of our nuclear submarines, this known as SSN 593, the Thresher. 129 souls passed on on April 10th, 1963, off the coast of of New Hampshire. But this Trieste actually located this uh, submarine, and everybody there perished in microseconds, just like, sadly, those on Ocean Gate Titan in 8,400 feet of water. The Thresher was at uh, 8,400 feet of water, right? Yes, correct, John. Wow. Absolutely. Totally amazing. Now, there, so again, there, I've been yeah. told, Dr. Sky, you know, and mm-hmm. I think our listening audience would like, you said we've only mapped 20% of the ocean. Down, right. uh, and, and, and we're talking about the Titanic, the Thrusher sure. being at 8,400 feet, the Titanic at 12,000 feet. I've been told down to 30,000 feet where we, we go down to the Pacific or the Atlantic, there's areas of 30,000 feet. There is some kind of life down there. There is, John. And those people that were on board the Trieste, on board that bathyscape, when we go back to Captain Don Walsh and Jacques Picard, 
they actually looked out of what was they, they called it a small window. I call it a tiny little porthole, maybe the size of a coffee saucer. And what they saw down there was actually some type of fish moving around, get a look at this, at 35,000 plus feet. Those creatures exist. And even more bizarre, if you go back to James Cameron in the movie, Well, the Abyss, we see all of these beautiful recollections of fish that glow in the dark. So there's a whole colony and a whole species of fish that actually glow by what they call photoluminescence down there. But it's so incredible, John, there is life at that bottom and that, of course, goes way down. And the pressures, as we mentioned before, imagine life surviving. And, at and, and we haven't, wow. and we <laughs> haven't even begun to explore the ocean floor or know about life down there. The other thing that me and you have talked about, and our audience yes. deserves to know, is, is the fact with all those UFOs yes. that in there, there's an area in San Diego area that mm-hmm. uh, those. Uh, unidentified flying, whatever you want to call them, were flying into caves and down below the earth. Absolutely, John. And that goes back to a story. Hopefully someday we can talk about it in detail. But the quick summary is the tic-tac-shaped UFOs, like a tic-tac mint, what can go 80,000 feet in a second up into the upper outer, outer reaches of the atmosphere? And then in a microsecond or maybe a little bit longer, not much longer, under the ocean, and transfer itself and do all kinds of zigzags in the skies. I've been studying the sky like many people for a long time, maybe 40, 50 years, and I don't think we have any technology, John, not China, not Russia, not us, but I'd sure the heck like to know what it is. It's some sort of a device or something that defies gravity. What do we call it? Anti-gravity and maybe even warpage of space-time. That's fascinating. Well, well, Steve Cates, thank you for (laughs) filling us in and – so I hope we all live long enough to see what, what, what that's all about. Really? You know, I, I went to Area too. 51, remember, John? Yes. I went a couple of years ago, and it was wow. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is. Well, thank you, uh, Steve Cates. And uh, let's take a break right now. And when we come back. We've got Tom Homan, the former ICE director, talking about this big decision. Oh, yes. Uh, tell us the, what, what happened. The Supreme Court voted. Yeah, basically allowing the Biden administration to decide to keep people here. And it makes basically puts our security in danger. The states okay. are saying, wait a minute. I don't understand the law. I hope he's able to explain he to will. us. And, and the Supreme Court voted, I understand, eight to one. So that's pretty much. Uh, uh, let's take that break first. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back to Katz and Cosby as if uh, the Biden administration needs any more impetus to keep people here in the United States. A huge ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court. And joining us now is the former director of ICE, Tom Homan, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Tom, uh, you and I were talking earlier. You were saying this is a really bad ruling for America. Can you explain it to everybody? Well, look, you, you know, everybody knows when Joe Biden took office and Alejandro Mayorkas took tar- charge of DHS, one of the first things they did was put a moratorium on deportations, and they changed the ICE priorities, the agency I used to run. And the new priorities basically took if you look at every criminal alien we arrested during the Trump administration, the four years that I ran ICE on the Trump administration, 85% of those criminal aliens cannot be arrested now because they're off the table, because the secretary has set, has set such high priorities. 
So his memorandum was, it's a, it's a spit in the face of public safety and to immigration officers. I mean, if you're an immigration officer, an ICE agent, the secretary has instructed that uh, you can't arrest somebody for, for simply being here illegally. Even though that's what the law says, that's what immigration officer does. Secretary says being in the country illegally is not enough to get arrested. And they can even commit a crime, but unless that crime falls in one of these few categories, you still can't arrest them. So, you know, the state of Texas sued. Uh, I actually testified in that hearing in the 5th District in Houston last year. And uh, Judge Tipton found in our favor. He says, no, this memorandum is, is, is contradicted to the law. The law says clearly in the statute that ISIS, you are supposed to detain. It says, the law says, you shall detain three categories of aliens. One, those convicted of a crime involving moral turpitude. Two, those convicted of drug offenses. And three, those will find orders. ISIS isn't detaining any of those people because the secretary doesn't allow it. So the judge says clearly, here's what the law says. Your memorandum tells ICE officers not to do it. Well, I find it in favor of the state of Texas. It gets to the Supreme Court, and they say that, well, Texas don't have standing in this case, which is a ridiculous ruling because they do have standing because every criminal alien ICE don't arrest is just going to recommit crimes in the state of Texas and every other state. It costs the state money to incarcerate them. It costs the state money to rehabilitate them. It costs state money to find them and arrest them. It costs state money to, you know, uh, take care of the victims and the witnesses and the court proceedings. And, and, and it's just it's, it's, a, it's a financial burden on the, on the state of Texas. And, and I'm just saying Texas because that's who filed the lawsuits, but it's a burden on all states. Well, that's the point, too. It affects everybody. And what they're basically what this does is keep what I guess some of the folks who clearly have issues in our country. I mean, in other words, it basically says, well, uh, what does the it soft- say? What did they vote eight to one for? The they American said people they, voted, they voted eight to one saying it wasn't, that, really, it really, it wasn't really on the substance of it was the on, on standing. Tom, it's Richard yeah. Weinberg. It's, it's yeah. on standing. They said the state right. of Texas and the other state, I think it was Florida, well, Louisiana. What is it? Standing means there's no real injury and no real damages to you. Are and you it's kidding? Tom- and and Tom is absolutely right, and you're right too. Of course, if they don't have standing, who, who does? does? Right. Then it's a ridiculous decision I by mean, the Supreme Court. Ridiculous. These people are just walking into the United States of America, which is an illegal is- act. They have no right to be here, and they have a right to detain them and put them through the process. And the Supreme Court has ratified illegal conduct by the Homeland Secretary. That's exactly Tom, what happened. Say, I mean, uh, I, I'm willing to bet it is not a lengthy opinion. <laughs> <laughs> because Unfortunately, it once, is an opinion. Yeah, it is an opinion, but probably a memorandum opinion. They probably did not do it the justice that this case deserves. So who let me ask the, you, who was the dissenting judge? Alito. Who was uh, Alito? Was the Alito. only dissenting? Judge Alito. Yeah. So let me ask you, Tom Oman, what does this mean for our security, and what happens now? I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, look, it's just it's, it's just another yet yeah, another magnet, another enticement for people from the country. Look, the secretary's already said you can come to the country illegally, and even if you lose your case, which ninety percent do on the on the on the uh, claim asylum, that's a true number. Nine out of ten people claim asylum at the border and never get relief from U.S. courts because they don't qualify. But they're going to keep coming, even though they know they don't qualify. Why? Because they know they can't be arrested. The secretary is so nice. They give, a, they give them a, a piece of paper, say so come back, and they disappear forever. They, they give them a credit card, they give them a phone, and they That's give right. them whatever. Housing, a, a hotel room? Uh, give uh, me a break. This, this, wow. Let, let me tell you something. This is unbelievable. I'm just scratching my head. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Tom Holman, thank Tom. you. Former ICE director. Great to have you and, here, Tom. You've done a great job, and let's pray that we get back to some sanity in our country. Thank you. All right, a year and a half, we're back. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. And now we have Dr. Peter Mihalos, and uh, there's... Uh, a lot of new revelations. Yeah, big stuff. Uh, one first is uh, this uh, this fungal. Uh, talk about this. This is something that's really serious, Peter. Okay, absolutely. It seems that there's a fungus among us, and uh, it was discovered in 2009 in Japan. And uh, it's interesting. Can we make a movie? Fungus among us? The blob. The blob. No, this is serious stuff, folks. No, it's serious stuff. I'll tell you why. Because there were only 53 cases in the U.S. in 2019. And in 2022, there were 2,377 cases. And the problem is with this candida auris, it's called. When it gets into the bloodstream, one in three people who get it in their bloodstream die from it. So that's why it's That's why it's serious. so, so give us a tip. What do we stay away from, Peter? Don't go swimming in lakes. What is it? So what happens is that it usually ends up in the hospital. It causes serious infections. It lives on surfaces for several weeks. And uh, people who are immune compromised, people in hospitals, nursing homes, uh, and, and the equipment that can be on it. So it's really up to the places, especially hospitals, nursing homes, to keep their equipment super clean and follow the proper uh, cleaning protocols and also using UV light, UV sanitizers uh, to kill it. Also, if you're an immune compromised person, if someone is suspected to have a fungal infection and also in hospitals, I think that every hospital at the entrance should have one of those uh, sinks with a pedal where you press, you get soap, you wash your hands because a lot of infections are brought into patients from the outside. I think doctors in between every patient have to make sure they clean off their uh, stethoscope and uh, wear a proper uh, mask if someone suspected uh, of having this thing. And the problem is these things are harder to treat because uh, the medicines used have a lot of side effects. Why? Because funguses, believe it or not, are genetically related to us, so it also kills some of the good cells, and that's why they're toxic to humans. The symptoms are fever, chills, sweat, low blood pressure. And the other problem is we're developing resistant funguses. Guess why? Because when we spray... uh, Things like strawberries and fruit trees, we use antifungals. So we're basically creating some more resistant funguses out there, and that's one of the issues. So, Dr. Mikulos, you're talking about you pick this up in hospitals. Isn't it just just another one of the super bugs in a way that really have been a problem in hospitals for a long while, and hospitals basically don't talk about it as they should? Well, it's hospitals, nursing homes, and where people are sick, if you have cancer, for example, you're immune compromised, so you're more susceptible to these things. And the same thing, we're having a problem with TB. We have uh, thousands more cases a year now showing up of resistant TB that don't respond. But fortunately, we have great uh, scientists and institutions, like right here in New York City at Columbia University, the Infectious Disease Department is working on genetically sequencing and learning about how these things work on a DNA level and then learning how to attack them and how to create a new generation of drugs. The problem is because it's not that many people get infected, people, a drug company is not going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. To, they'll go after something that only affects, you know, 3,000 people a year. So that's why it's important that the uh, government has these orphan drug programs to help develop uh, new medicines to deal with these resistant organisms that are popping up. And... Uh, we're, you know, thank God we live in America and uh, our scientists are 
working on it and other countries that where we're not socialized medicine where they're pouring money into some of these rare diseases so is a super bug going to come out i mean they're going to become more and more immune to whatever kind of treatments hospitals can do isn't there finally going to be a super bug that is really a threat to uh, to anyone who goes into a hospital? It's happening now. The problem is we're not pouring enough money to develop the next generation of antibiotics, and we should be doing it because only a certain number of people get infections a year. So people spend money on sleeping medicines and other types of uh, medicines, and they're interested in you know weight loss and things like that. But they, they can make money on a mass scale, so we need to uh, have an Operation Warp Speed to start working on developing the next generation for these resistant organisms, for funguses and for bacteria and for TB. Um, what about Ozempic, too, by the way? Uh, there was all these headlines this week about Ozempic, uh, the diabetes, people using it for weight loss, but there's some huge problems with it. Well, anything that comes out new, it's like a new car. I never I never purchase a car that just comes out. I wait about two years for them to get the kinks out of it. And I think with all medicines, and again, I'm not attacking Ozempic or any of those medicines, but I will say it's right out of the federal government and CDC has concern about thyroid tumors, vision changes, kidney failure, cancer. So there are issues. It's not without side effects. For example, you know, if people want to lose weight, they can talk to their doctor about good old fashioned metformin, which is made from uh, French lilacs and it's been around for 50 years and it works quite well. So there are uh, alternatives that cost five cents a pill and you know, just have to have a discussion with your doctor or a weight loss center and, you know, and go through the risk benefit ratio of any time you do anything new long term. But, pe- you know, but, but people should know that there are side effects. I forget what the medicine I was on about 15 years ago uh, that was similar to this uh, to this and um, it caused me problems. Oh, wow. So you had well, uh, some issues. Yeah. We have 78 organs in our body, and they're very sensitive to all these different medicines and chemicals. And the other thing nobody talks about is a drug gets approved, but it never talks about if you're taking three other medicines, how does the chemistry interact with all the other medicines you take? So sometimes it's the cocktail of medicines that we fully don't understand, and that's why studying drug interactions is also very important. And every time you go to the doctor, I advise our patients our listeners to bring a list of all the medicines that you're on and even the nutraceuticals because people forget to say, oh, I'm taking a lot of vitamin E, which would increase bleeding or ginkgo biloba, which would increase bleeding. So you have to always have a detailed list of the prescription and non-prescription medicines when you go on a doctor and discuss the potential side effects and treatments. And sometimes some of the older, cheaper medicines work just fine. Absolutely. I will. Peter Mihalos, uh, Dr. Mihalos, you always have the best stuff. Thank you so much. Thank we you. love having Thank you. Thank you for the update, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. Thank you. Uh, let's take a break right now, and we're going to come back with John Solomon. He has some breaking news for us. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
Breaking news. WABC. With us today is John Solomon from Justin News, and he always gives us some breaking news. John Solomon, me and Rito here. What's going on? <laughs> There's a lot going on. There is a war of words that has broken out from Hunter Biden's lawyers uh, uh, against the IRS whistleblower who lawfully made disclosures to Congress that were released yesterday. We've been talking about this whistleblower on your show for a couple of weeks. We now know his full story. Just a little while ago, Hunter Biden's lawyer said that the release of some of Hunter Biden's communications by the whistleblower, they believe are illegal and they're attacking the whistleblower. Obviously, that was a very embarrassing disclosure. There was a text message where Hunter Biden uh, is pressing a Chinese businessman to pay him. And he says he's sitting alongside his fighters, using his father, Joe Biden, the former vice president, as a cudgel to try to force this Chinese businessman to pay up money that Hunter Biden wants. And that release really stung the Hunter Biden campaign yesterday. Today, the Hunter Biden lawyers, uh, their team, uh, are accusing the IRS whistleblower of illegally providing that to Congress. Turns out they could provide anything they want to Congress. That's what whistleblowers have the ability to do. But uh, a war of words, a lot of tension, uh, and I think a lot of people are starting but, but to John, wonder. John Solomon, uh, I mean, yep. is there anybody to verify that that uh, Joe Biden was sitting, his father was sitting next to him, or is it just hearsay? I mean, uh, if there's no proof, I mean, if I was going to, if I was doing a big time game, uh, and I would say, oh, I'm sitting right next to God, and God uh, says, no. uh, you better uh, wire me a million dollars. That would be a good guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, whistle, the IRS whistleblower said that uh, they were able to locate Hunter Biden's phone and confirm that he was inside his father's house at the moment he made that claim. They wanted to interview Hunter and Joe Biden about it, but they were turned down for the ability to ask him. But they were able to put Hunter Biden through his phone data in the same house at the moment that conversation was going on. So they made some progress on that. But one of the big things here is time and time again, when they wanted to take basic investigative steps, they were turned down by the Justice Department. I'll just give you a couple examples. Remember when the Justice Department found out Paul Manafort had a locker of evidence? Well, they got a search warrant in a few minutes. They couldn't get a search warrant. They were turned down after meeting the probable cause standard to search a uh, locker that Hunter Biden had. And then the Justice Department tipped Hunter Biden off that, that, hey, the agents are looking for you at the locker, giving him a chance to move the evidence. They wanted to search the guest home at Hunter Biden's, uh, at Joe Biden's home. Keep in mind, they had no problem getting a search warrant for Mar-a-Lago for President Trump. But they were turned down, even though they were told they had met the probable cause standard. They weren't allowed to look at Joe Biden's guest home where Hunter Biden had significant amount of evidence, according to the agents. Every investigative step that they asked to take over the series of many, many months, they got turned down. They were told they couldn't ask questions about Joe Biden. They were told they couldn't interview certain people. The agents, there were two of them, there were two whistleblowers, said that in all the years that they had pursued task cases, they had never run into the sort of resistance and political tampering that occurred when they tried to investigate Hunter Biden. Let me ask you, John, uh, I'm seeing all over the headlines that the Energy Department is giving $9.2 billion to Ford to buy electric uh, vehicle batteries. What the heck is going on there? Well, the truth of the matter is the electric vehicle market is still not sustainable on its own, right? And so these, uh, the, uh, you saw many of the major uh, electric vehicle makers continue to lose money. And if it weren't for subsidies, they wouldn't be able to remain viable. So 
what uh, Joe Biden is doing again with this and many prior investments is to try to subsidize the market. Batteries are a big problem. Why? Is it, a, pr- is so it a present? Is it a present? Is it a, an advance? Is it a loan? What is it? Uh, it's like so many of the other giveaways that have started under the Obama years. Remember Solyndra? These are all grant money designed to help these companies uh, create um, a marketplace where there is one now. And one of the big problems that uh, the Biden Energy the Electric Vehicle Initiative has is or there are two problems. One is we don't have enough of the materials here in the United States to make all the batteries that these cars are going to require. China has a stranglehold on the supply chain of all of the rare earth minerals that we use for batteries. And then there's a second part. We don't have enough capacity in our grid or charging capabilities or resilience in our grid to actually charge the cars if people started to buy them. And so what the energy department is doing is to try to keep all of these initiatives afloat until the time that the marketplace can catch up, which many uh, many economists and energy experts say, hey, we could be 10 or 20 years away from having a sustainable electric vehicle market. But the amount of giveaways... John, John Solomon, so this is the big, biggest con game ever sustained on the American <laughs> consumer. Yeah. Rita? I, was talking to an energy, I was talking to an energy department employee, someone who's in the know, and they said, listen, the cart is so far in front of the horse, about a year or two from now, the horse is going to crash into the cart. We're not ready to do what, <laughs> what Joe Biden wants us to do. And and uh, the good news is the cart will be electric. But nonetheless, it's still going to be uh, where the marketplace is not ready. We are manipulating a marketplace that's not ready. Everybody wants a cleaner future, but you got to go in the steps that make economic sense. Wow. Well, uh, and John, before I let you go really quick, Devin Archer, uh, explain. I want to go back to the Hunter Biden stuff because there's some big stuff that could be coming up real quick. Yeah, so he's the person who was in, uh, indicted uh, and convicted of fleecing a try while working with Hunter Biden. He is uh, about to go to prison shortly, but uh, we are understanding that they're very close to a deal on Capitol Hill for him to come in and voluntarily testify about all he knows. We believe he was present for meetings between Joe Biden and some of Hunter Biden's business associates. That would be a significant advance to the investigation, and he could fill in and corroborate some of the things that these IRS agents were trying to prove before their investigative tools were taken from them. All right. Well, John Solomon, thank you. Wow. Lots ahead there. Thank you for joining us. The great John Solomon of Just the News. Thank you, John. Wow. That is going to be interesting where that leads. By the way, John, you had dinner with uh, Donald Trump the other day. I want to hear a little more about that. Well, he wanted to, to talk to some New Yorkers. You know, he was in New York all his life and, and know what the... Uh, uh, what the thinking is, and it was uh, at uh, somebody's home on 69th Street, and um, uh, the dinner was very good. Was he in good spirits? He was in excellent spirits. It was about uh, 20 people total uh, at the dinner. Uh, he got there promptly at 6 o'clock, and, uh, uh, and he wanted to know what the – Situation is. I mean, you've seen him many times, Ed. What oh, do you think? Certain, he still thinks of New York, uh, and uh, I think he's very sad. He's not in New York sometimes. No, he is a New Yorker through and through, yeah. from Queens, and that's and, what and he is. They made it impossible for him to be a New Yorker. Yeah, actually, part of the relationship that he has with McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is they're both from nitty gritty areas. One's from Queens, the other's from Bakersfield, California. Yep. But both are basically blue collar areas, 
people who aspire to something more. And, uh, and uh, Kevin McCarthy is going to be in New York starting Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, what is he doing? He's, uh, uh, he, he's, he's trying to ensure that his delegation in New York stays in place. It's the most important delegation. We've got three, three more, uh, seven more seats than the Democrats would have jerried Manos into here. And though that is his majority, he knows he has to hold on to them. In a presidential year, in a blue state, the turnout of Democrats is going to be large. And now, is the... Is it going to stay in place the the jurisdictions now the districts the, the, as it is? Uh, they're uh, they they're trying to fix that. The they they can they change it before the election? They, that's the issue. That's that, the issue. That's the issue. They got a case coming up. That's a bogus case. They got a the chief judge they want. They forced out the the former chief judge because they didn't like a decision he wrote. They put in their chief judge, the state Democrats in the Senate, and that they're trying to win. I predict they will not. David, they I want to David, I won't Governor. Uh, I, I won't get you in trouble by asking you any questions. <laughs> I, I think Ed's going to be very disappointed uh, down the road. Oh! 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 By, the, by the way, and, I want to tell everybody. Wait, wait. Yeah. And Judge Weinberg's okay, wife. There. You got to bet there. Oh, no. <laughs> Judge Weinberg's wife, I understand, is uh, is the lawyer for the Democratic Party. Oh. oh. Don't, don't ask me about our private conversations about this, John. Oh. <laughs> By the way, I want to say something Wait, that's public. Well, Everybody well, has to read well, the Daily me. Mail. John, you made worldwide news about your uh, desire to buy CNN. Well, CNN uh, it is all needs over the help. world's talking about it. CNN Everybody wants you. CNN needs help. They only have 400,000 viewers. I said to them, I said to all the powers that be, in one year's time, I guarantee. I'll certify we'll have it up to two million. Yes. You could do well, it. Well, thank you all for coming <laughs> in. Uh, God bless America. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way.